Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Horrorversary, a podcast celebrating horror films, celebrating anniversaries. Now, before we get started, I have to once again mention that we are now part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. If you get a chance, you can either go on to SoundCloud and search Boom Howdy, or go on to BoomHowdy.com and click Podcast, and you'll be able to see the under other wonderful shows that we have on offer. We've got True Crime. We've got other new horror films that people are discussing. If you happen to be a fan of The Walking Dead or Into the Badlands or any number of TV shows, we've got podcasts to cover that as well. But you can easily find us there as well as our past episodes. And then also make sure to go online to either SoundCloud if you want, since they have comments now. You can go on to iTunes or Google Play Podcast and make sure to rate and review and like our show. But now, on to this week's episode. This week's episode is exciting to me. Because the 80s are rife with so many different horror films. There's something magical about the time. And yet at the same time, as many big ones that we have, there's ones that kind of fit in the middle of the pack, I guess you could say. They're they're not worse than like the larger ones, but sometimes they're a little bit forgotten. And we're talking about Scarecrows from 1988. Now, Scarecrows is interesting because it doesn't really have a beginning to the movie. Well, okay, maybe I'm maybe I need to start a little bit more. When we say scarecrows, we're talking about actual scarecrows in the real world. We're not talking about a fantasy realm or anything like that. And that's important because Okay, I I decided to double back, so that's my bad. It's Scarecrows is a very simple film. I should have been able to spit it out right away. But that's my bad. That's my bad. But our guest tonight is an individual who can definitely help us wade through the cornfields of this film. Please, please give me a big, big giant horrorversary welcome to Rob Hunter. How's it going, Rob? Oh, it's going so well. At least it was until I heard you talking about Scarecrows and I got the slight whiff that you're not as big of a fan as you should be. Uh, I am a big fan. I don't think I am a uh, mega super... Uh, califragilistic expialidocious over the moon. I will sell my children because of how much I love this movie, which I, I feel that you possibly are. Look, I had this movie on Laserdisc, so I think that I, I think I think that settles that. No, no. First of all, Rob, most people would probably know you because you you write for Film School Rejects, correct? Um, that or for my frequent spats with people on Twitter who then end up blocking me. Usually of a certain political bent, but otherwise, yes, ideally, they mostly know me from Film School Rejects slash One Perfect Shot. Um, but I also, once in a while, show up over at Slash Film and Crooked Marquee. That's why lots of times when I usually give the intro, I, I say, you know this person from plenty of places on the internet, but I, I'd like it if you guys then are able to break it down just like you did. So you can find Rob everywhere, basically, everywhere that's important, I think. Well, you know, I wouldn't go that far, but um, but yeah, where, wherever you you go to get your movie news, odds are I've also been there. And then at that point, you can then go to Film School Rejects or Slash Film or Crooked Marquee <laughs> and see some of my writing. You might you might you might double back and spend like 15 minutes trying to get there, but hey, eventually you're gonna get there. It's worth it. Now we always like to start off with a very simple question. Um, I think like one time when we asked the question. It ended up like causing a traumatic episode for somebody. So hopefully that doesn't happen to you. 
but I know you mentioned Laserdisc, so we, we want to ask, when did you first see Scarecrows? Oh, let me do some quick math in my head and not at all be concerned with people judging my age. I would say... It would have, well, the movie came out in 88, so it would have been – I, mean, I obviously did not see it in a theater. Um, so it would have been on VHS where I first saw it, so I would say 88, 89, um, Laserdisc. So it would have been at the latest 1990 when I uh, busted out my my Laserdisc and showed it to a friend late at night who then complained because of a movie pausing for a layer change. Ah, the, the old days of, of yep, to be yep. very very careful with a giant giant disc that's the size of basically a pizza giant tent. beautiful discs filled with with delicious deliriously good movies yeah so it would have been I'd say eighty nine ninety maybe okay. latest yeah. now the interesting thing that I like about the the home video release of the film is that you had the laser disc and then it's not until two thousand and seven that it comes out on DVD mm-hmm. and that was MGM puts it out. And there are lots of people who were mad at the time. I, I don't want to make myself sound too old, but I was scouring everything on the internet in 2007. But you had lots of people who were asking the big question of, is this the unrated cut? Yeah. I, and I've heard, I remember back in the days of uh, Fangoria too, covering the film and uh, with the various gore shots and such like that. And, and so you get a sense that there, there was more to it. And um, I think even the, if I'm not mistaken, even the more recent uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray is also just the R-rated cut. Um, so I'm not sure if the even if, if the uh, unrated cut is out there still. Is it? Maybe the Laserdisc was. I don't even remember at this point. I I think there's. I know that since the Scream Factory, there was another Blu-ray disc that was put out, and that one supposedly is unrated. So is it is it an import? This is news to me. I I I can I can look it up while you're you're deep in the thought in a minute. But for the people who are uninitiated out there, first of all, if you have not seen Scarecrows, do yourself a favor and see Scarecrows. This is the point in the show where we like to say, pause this, go see the movie, and then come back. It's it's a, it's a it's a fast eighty three minutes too. So yeah, you don't even have to pause for very long at all. It's it's a quick little break, and then you listen to us, and we're even a quicker break, so it works. But from this point on, we are going to get into spoiler territory. We are going to talk there about are scarecrows. Every instance. Of, wait, there's more than one. God damn it. Well, I, I feel like, I feel like the title gave that away. I, I'm not going to take take blame for that. Well, you know, I got to say that I'm a big 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 fan of Gene Hackman. And this is, is that, the sequel with multiple Gene Hackmans? Is that, is, is, is that not – we're not talking about the Dark Knight as a scarecrow? Now I can so, see what the problem here is. But yes, pause this right here. We'll give you a moment. Moment's over. There you go. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Rob, for the people who are still uninitiated because they didn't listen to what we just said right then, in as few words as possible, describe scarecrows. Um, I'm going to ignore that um, and just talk about the movie. Um, so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it, it's essentially it's, – it's, it's summed up beautifully in the title, Scarecrow. So what, it's a horror movie about people who show up in, where they shouldn't be in a field at night and scarecrows start wiping them out. That's like in a nutshell the movie. 
but I, I think that it's, it's so it basically becomes like a little survival horror uh, piece. But there's kind of um, there's various threads to it that I that are, you know I'll, I'll speak to you shortly as, as far as what makes it more than just like a stock and slash. Did I say stock and slash like a corn stock? I sure did, and there's more of that to come. Um, but but I think that at its core, yeah, that's just basically it. People are where they shouldn't be, and scarecrows, which obviously, as everyone knows, are you know the whole purpose behind a scarecrow is to protect uh, a crop, to keep out you know predators that are going to you know eat the crops. And so, in in essence, that's what they're doing here. They're keeping out uh, human predators who are after you know uh, quote unquote treasure in, inside this this uh, geography, the space, um, and that's what it comes down to. And it's what I like about the movie is that it it gets to the meat of the film right away. Of course, it's working on a budget. That's one thing. But then it it opens, as people, everybody says, in media res, which, yes, I understand that's what it is, but it sounds kind of pretentious nowadays when you say I, it. I love the opening to this movie. I think that it's it, so good. It, the opening credits are kind of spaced throughout it with, with, um, you know, with the scenes unfolding. And in the course of the opening credits, you get introduced to all the characters. You get the father and daughter who've been abducted. They're, they're, uh, he, he's an airline pilot. She's a pilot. And so these uh, bank robbers slash mercenaries, whatever you want to call them, have basically abducted them and taken off in, in the plane with a whole bunch of cash. Um, you have on the radio talking about the the robbery, talking about that they've that you know that they've been abducted and that these guys are on the run and that the you know the authorities are after them. So everything is laid out there within the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Um, as this plane is flying through the night, you're, you're, you've got it all. You've got everybody situated. There's like a team of like four or five uh, um, of, of these these robbers, and then the couple. I mean, the guy and his, his daughter. Um, so it's it's all right there. You're introduced to it. Bam, all to go, and then credits end. One of the guys jumps out of the plane with a parachute, taking all the cash with him, and that is what then triggers you know your, your main story because he then lands in the cornfield in this you know remote farm in the middle of the night, and uh, the rest of his team has to force the plane down onto a strip somewhere, get over there, and try and you know you know grab the money back. And so that's your your setup. It's just it's just so efficient in its setup that it doesn't need to waste any more time. Um, you know, on the different beats that a lot of other movies kind of drag their feet on before the terror starts, before the suspense or the story starts. This one just gets right into it. And and even when you describe that part, all you have to add to it is, and then the scarecrows kill them. And, yeah. And, and and you're like, oh, th- that's the whole movie, but it's everything that happens in the in the minute by minute pacing of the film and how everything's doled out and what they do within that, that small confines that I think makes it work. I just think that, yeah, the, the pacing, I, I have seen some people have issue with the pacing. And, and again, I, I mean, obviously I disagree. I think that with this running time, with this setup, it drops you in there and it kind of doles things out a little bit as, as far as some of the actions of the, of the scarecrows and of the, the various characters. Um, one of the things I like about it is that the guy who lands down there first and is you know in the in the he's trying to get away so he gets like a, a truck going and he's got his he's you know going to pick up the money and he's trying to get out of there the, tr- the truck dies he hops out opens the engine and there is no engine he opens the hood and there's no engine in there so you're instantly hit you've already seen glimpses of the scarecrows but they're just like scarecrows they're up on their you know up on their their wooden stakes um, kind of ominous but they're not moving not doing anything they're spooky just because you know scarecrows are spooky in the middle of the night and the the visual effects like the, the makeup work on this movie I think is phenomenal and so even just before the gore sets in the the visual presence of these scarecrows is fantastic and so again before they do anything you know creepy they just are creepy already and then this bit with the engine disappearing um, 
you're kind of like you catch on, okay, there's something is obviously amiss here. It's not just going to be a matter of, you know, something that's killing people. There's, there's more to it. Um, and I love that element because once he's kind of dealt with and you, you do see him early on, he gets knifed by a scarecrow because um, apparently they carry knives, whatever, I'm going to allow it. Uh, it then, you know, everybody else drops in and they start looking for him and looking for the money. And the, the scarecrows kind of back off again. I mean, they become, again, just these figures up on the on the stakes. And so you start to wonder, okay, well, I mean, obviously an engine isn't going to just disappear after a car is, is moving. This guy did land and kind of like knock himself out when he landed from his parachute. So is maybe it's not really happening. Maybe he was kind of disoriented because he's also hearing voices. Um, this is like auditory you know, hallucinations over like that. So you don't quite know. You're not quite on solid ground yet. Um, and then it's kind of like more of like a, an action movie when the other ones are kind of, you know, the guys or other characters are trying to like, you know, look around and they're breaking up into different squads and looking around for this guy and they've got the hostage. Um, they approach the farmhouse at the center. So it's, it's more grounded at that point. So again, it takes a little bit before you're, you know, fully certain, I think that, uh, these literally are killer scarecrows. It's not just this guy going nuts, but again, that there's killer scarecrows in this, um, I think just just well crafted, well created world where it's just a really strong atmosphere. I mean, things aren't um, it's straightforward. They're not black and white as far as again, killer scarecrows and victims. It's not that simple. Yeah, especially because it takes that ground of, and you don't really have a ton of people that you're rooting for in the movie because, of course, they're they're the criminals. But at the same right. time, one one of the complaints that people would have about the film that I think it's just a difference in when this movie was made. Um, in that heyday of the 80s where where people were focusing more on like effects and being able to actually make the movie compared to nowadays where everything has to be completely explained within an inch of its life is that there's there's room for 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 just enjoying the film and that they have little hints to, to what the backstory would be as uh-huh. opposed to just having somebody stop and like finding a diary and being like oh we're gonna read this Right. Or a character shows up and explains it all or like, you know, a flashback or something like that. It just leaves you these kind of like, you know, hints on the periphery that you can put together to get the sense of this place, this farm, um, this kind of nightmare that they landed in. And um, it just just does a really good job, I think, for the atmosphere, because it is like you mentioned, it is a a very low budget film. And I think that's probably its biggest enemy, because obviously creativity and I think that it's well directed. And again, the gore is the makeup is great. Um, So I think everything else about it that doesn't require necessarily a lot of money. Uh, is is top notch. I think. I mean, eh, some of the acting is iffy, but you know, <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do? Um, but I think that otherwise, in general, uh, writer director William Wesley, I think this does a fantastic job with you know the, the clear budgetary limitations he has, mm-hmm. but he creates uh, a, a tight, uh, again, atmospheric, for me, thrilling uh, scarecrow movie. And I, I just want to let the people know out there when he says a low budget, it's it's relatively low budget when you think about movies in general. Again, because it was in the heyday of the 80s, you had lots of like shot on video films that were being made around that time that are literally, literally low budget. And this one, you can find estimates that say that it, the budget was somewhere between 300 to 400 and $25,000, which is still for, for most films, it's low, but the fact that most of the actors that they had weren't really established at the time, it, you can definitely see that the majority of the money went into, you know, like the location and then the special effects. 
Yeah, I, I think the money is well spent on the the makeup and the special effects. I mean, even even just like the the set design and everything like that works, I think, really well too. But the the main calling cards cards for the film are the the, the makeup, you know, the, the scarecrow's visual look, and then also the gore effects. Now, of course, we always like to ask, and it's kind of an open-ended thing, and since you're somebody who loves this movie so much, what do you think particularly accounts for the longevity of the movie? Because, like I said, while it took a while from the Laserdisc to when it came out on the DVD, it's had numerous different releases since then, even within the last couple of years. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it helps that his title is so straightforward and simple. <laughs> um, I mean, the the killer scarecrow subgenre isn't a big one. There's maybe, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 movies maybe that I can think of. Um, and the vast majority of them are, are, are just, you know, flat out, you know, not, not good garbage. Mm-hmm. You, you've got something like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which is, I think, one of, you know, phenomenal movie, a TV movie, but still, you know, smart, terrifying, you know, great cast. Um, the recent movie Husk, doesn't get as much attention, but it's a legit, really, really good Scarecrow movie, Killer Scarecrow movie. Um, and then there's maybe again another ten or so that are just kind of meh. And so I think that it helps that this movie was, you know, for one thing, one of the first. I mean, Dark Knight Scarecrow obviously came earlier, but one, one of the first theatrical type ones. Um, but also, it just is a solid movie. Again, people are turned off by you know the the darkness and the pacing and stuff like that. But I think that uh, for it just is a strong movie. I think that most people who watch it do enjoy it. Um, find the various thrills out of it, you know, from the uh, knocking the, you know, the cast away off with the scarecrows to uh, the gore effects to, again, just the visual of these hulking, um, silent, other than their occasional growls, <laughs> scarecrows. <laughs> um, I mean, they're impressive to look at. They're not, you know, they're not goofy looking. They're not just kind of like, you know, you, you can't really ignore them. They have a definite presence to them, um, whether they're moving or not. And the, the film also does some interesting things with them because one, because since there is multiple ones instead of just one stalking everybody, you've got a couple of scenes where there's more than one on screen, mm-hmm. um, including a, a scene where one of them has been uh, killed, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to phrase it, but uh, another <laughs> one is, is silently, you know, has his face up to it and is kind of looking at it and taking it in as if it's kind of acknowledging um, that one of its own has has been uh, you know dismissed or destroyed, and um, nothing again nothing's really made of it. And again, there's some of the backstory that I think goes into it that, that makes it interesting as well. But it's just a nice unusual scene for this kind of thing where the creature, one of the creatures, one of the monsters, is um, you know silently acknowledging and recognizing the damage done to one of its own. And it's so it, it, they're the monsters, they're the antagonists, obviously, but. They're kind of not because they are protecting their home, their their yeah. own place, and so it's it just it just adds more, I think, to it than most of these movies, um, monster movies in general, but also than obviously most of the scarecrow movies do, in that there's more than just you know, hey, kids wander into a cornfield and now there's a scarecrow killing them, and you know, oh, there's more going on than that, and I think that it's it's something that has helped the movie, you know, stay in people's minds throughout the years because it's not just you know, the, the very simple one line description, it's, it's a bit more. Yeah. I mean, just like, uh, Jason in the wheat field, right? <laughs> exactly. Like Jason in the wheat field. <laughs> well, I, I, I had to go there. I'm sorry. Now, it's okay. what, what helps set this movie apart when it comes to the scarecrows is it's not just the scarecrows that are doing the killing, because even though we don't really find out like exactly what, the the rules or their powers are they're they're able to do some special tricks 
Yeah, they are able to um, – I don't know if you want to call it puppeteering, but they're able to kind of animate uh, dead bodies, which, which if you think about a scarecrow is obviously like a, you know the, the outer shell of like a, a human figure, but it's stuffed with straw. It's essentially what it is or stuffed with you know other kind of material. So it's not actually a living thing. And so when you have these scarecrows that are walking around killing people, obviously it's something that's been you know possessed or, or animated, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so an interesting spin here is that the first guy who dies, um, as the rest of the team goes down and looking for him, the first guy who we've already seen get knifed and killed, he shows up. And so the team is like, you know, hey, jerk, where's our money? And they're, you know, knocking him around and everything like that. And at, at a certain point, they realize that his, uh, you know, his chest and stomach have been split open. Once they get his shirt open, have been split open and then sewed back closed again. The sticking out of, of, the, of the slice is the money that they've been looking for and, and straw. So basically, he's been hollowed out and stuffed. But at the same time, he was just, you know, he walked in here on his own and then it becomes like an action scene as they all fight somebody like that. And it becomes kind of like a life or death thing where they have to take him down, which they do by, t- by taking his head off. Um, it's a great scene because one, it's just great gore effects to have like this split. And like, the, again, instead of guts coming out, you've got, you know, the, the, the bloody money and the bloody straw. Um, but it's also just, it, again, it raises it above the norm by saying, okay, wait a minute, you know, now there's this animated corpse that has been hollowed out and has essentially become a scarecrow even without the, uh, you know, the traditional trappings. And it, it builds from there too, because when several other characters end up dying, they kind of go the same way. They're killed and then brought back, if, if you yeah. want to say that, by the scarecrows. There's a great one. Of the, another one of the great visuals, I think, is the uh, the one guy comes back, and so all you see him, you see, you see him with the night vision goggle on, <laughs> and the bottom half of his face has basically just been sheared of uh, flesh, and so what you've got is like you know his his entire you know jaw and, and mouth exposed, um, you know a little bit of muscle there, but like all the teeth are there, and it's just a great visual because again you 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 expect a movie of scarecrows is going to have like people and then you know killer scarecrows and so this extra level of additional uh you know animated puppets whatever you want to call them um human shells gives gives it one more flexibility on the effects front to create what i think again is, is a great visual um but two it kind of does create this uncertainty because you have characters who are dying but aren't out of the picture yet. You know, they then become threats as well because at the end of it, I mean, at the end of the day, there's basically, you know, there is a force kind of overseeing this place and it's mm. kind of, it is basically animating um, the corpses, uh, these shells, these characters. And so that's what everybody else is, everybody living is trying, is fighting against. Um, but one of the things also I like about it is that the, it's not as simple as again, they go in there and they, and they get trapped and have to get out again. This, uh, presence or this force or this, you know, uh, protector over the place, it kind of plays with them as well. Yeah. I mean, every, t- every time they kind of come close to maybe, oh, we just got to get the hell out of here, it kind of teases them with, you know, here's some of the cash, you know, here's some of the money you're after. And so basically it feeds off of their greed because they can't, you know, even after stuff they've seen, they kind of still get pulled back in again because, oh, wait, you know, there's the cash. It must have been, you know, this guy must have swallowed it or the wind must have brought it in, you know, and they get corrected each time. But at the same time, they're they're choosing basically, you know, OK, well, I can I can get the hell out of here or I can, you know, collect this cash. And so it's the greed that you know does them in, um, which is, is pretty much the case for everybody except for the daughter who makes it out. Or does she? <laughs> And, of course, you, you were talking about kind of the playfulness that the Scarecrows have. And, and the guy that you were talking about who shows up with part of his face missing, Jack, um, has this, compared to the rest of the scenes, it's it's very funny, especially late in the movie, and kind of feels like 
a weird like Stuart Gordon or Hennen Lauder mm-hmm. sense of humor where um, the the main bad guy who's kind of one of your surrogate main characters, uh, Curry, has is slim, seems like he's slightly losing it. And at one point, you don't really hear another voice on the radio, but he's talking to him, mm-hmm. like thinking that it's Jack. And then Jack shows up. And even though he's got this terrifying look and he's got the knife, he's just like, come on, buddy. What's going on? It's it's Jack. You gotta let me go get in here, man. There's there's scarecrows out here. Wait. It's it has the sense of like um, uh, the Griffin Dunn character yeah. in American World in London, where it's to hear him talk. It's like okay, sure, it's our buddy, it's our friend. We've known him this whole time. You know, everything's okay. But the the visual, the nightmarish visual, doesn't match it. And so you know, the, the living character's reaction is understandable because yeah. he's stuck between what sounds like, you know, normalcy, but then what looks like pure hell. Um, but yeah, it, that, that sense of, again, it has, you've got the, the kind of uh, hallucinations or, you know, the illusions um, of the audio. Like even the first guy who lands, he starts hearing chatter on the radio of these other, you know, the other guys who are after him talking about how, oh, they're right behind here, they're right behind there and talking as if they're circling them when they're not there, even there yet. But it's basically still, again, this place playing with them and messing with them. Um, and again, at that point, we're not quite sure if it's all in his head or what's going on, but mm. um, that does continue throughout the movie where it's this, you know, again, this, this spirit or power, whatever it might be over the place is playing on people. It's not just a matter of like wanting to kill them as soon as possible. It is absolutely, you know, trying to terrify them, trying to you know mess around with them and then kill them. And be assholes, too, since Jack does ask him when he's on the other side of the, the door, he goes, wait a second. Are you are you one of the scarecrows? <laughs> And you're like, come on, man, come on. <laughs> hey, you never know. That's the other thing too. I like you just reminded me. Um, it's the kind of setup and premise that uh, were it like you know, sixty minutes shorter or whatever, you'd think, okay, this is like a Twilight Zone episode, mm-hmm. and the ending is going to be they're all dead already, or you know, or they're in hell or they're in purgatory. Yeah. Um, it has the feel of a kind of movie that can go that route, and so I love that one, it doesn't. Spoiler, but two. A character in the film actually suggested himself, and I think that that is pretty forward-thinking too, because it's kind of been overdone, you know, quite a bit more since then. But back in the late '80s, you know, it was happening, but it wasn't as frequent. I think it's again become more frequent. And so to have a character on screen call it out and say, "Well, hey, wait a minute, what if you know we're dead? Of course, is what it is. You know, we we got away too easy. This happened, that happened. Obviously, we're dead." Um, and so it kind of raises that question that, you know, in a lot of lesser movies would be treated as, you know, the, the third act twist, it raises it halfway to the movie. And then just kind of like, we don't know, you know, we don't know what's going on. Now, obviously the movie ends and we know it's not the case, but to have these characters who are in this kind of trapped in this, uh, you know, pitch black nightmare. Um, it makes sense that they're kind of like just reaching and grasping for, for, you know, trying to understand what's going on. And I liked hearing a character actually voice this and then having the others say, you know, you're full of shit. Well, that, that leads to, it's not necessarily the next question, but it does have a question that I want to bring up considering the film. So we'll we'll see who's full of shit about this and, you know, by listening to your theory. Uh, but, of course, at the end of the film, uh, we've got the cargo plane ends up, you know, taking off. Uh, we've got Kelly and Corbin are able to get off, but they still have the, the scarecrow-controlled version of Kelly's dad who's on the plane. And Corbin basically sacrifices himself by using a grenade inside the plane, which is the only part that I have kind of, you know, an issue with because wouldn't it have like blown a hole somewhere in there. It just casually blows him up. But that's not the what I wonder about. 
is you have the dog, Dax, who is then directly seen chewing on the remains. And we get the little coda at the very end of the film, which begins just like the film did, where we've, we've got the scarecrow that we're watching during the credits and the radios informing us of what happens. And it mentions that when they uh, come on, when they get onto the plane, that the dog seems like it's gone crazy. Mm-hmm. And attacks them. I do love the touch, though. So, so one, you know, there's the question, OK, well, now is the dog also, you know, exactly. a- animated by, by this force and is that what's carrying this out into the world? Um, and I think it's. You could argue it both ways. I think I think that it is presented as kind of a tease, as a possibility. But my bigger takeaway is I, I love that the movie makes a point of saying that the officers um, tranquilized it. Um, <laughs> one, they wouldn't do that in the real world. They would just blow it away, um, and they wouldn't even have tranks, you know, with them. But I, I love the idea that that the movie actually makes a point of mentioning that. Which again, on the one hand, could just be like a fun little you know beat about not wanting to kill the dog. But on the other, if it is you know, carrying this, this possession or, or this, uh, whatever you want to call it, that means it's still alive and out there in the world yeah. Um, yeah. and spreading around. Whereas we're not quite sure about the people who, who are still, or the corpses that are on the plane. Um, so I kind of like that touch. I mean, it, it does, it's not leaving the story open in the grand sense. Um, and part of that too is like the, you know, you, you mentioned that the, it's kind of intercut with the shot of the one scarecrow on his post. Again, a lesser movie, I think, would would end with the scarecrow jumping towards the camera yeah. <laughs> at the end before it cuts to black. It doesn't do that. It, it leaves it because basically that's what it is. The scarecrow is there and silent and unmoving until a threat encroaches on this on this farmland. And since no one's there at the moment, it's able to just sit there and it's a guard. It's a silent guardian. Um, so I kind of like that it's not leaving it open as far as like you know, oh well, wait a minute, what about this, this, and this, everything else? <laughs> it it closes this chapter on this location and the people who, you know, who uh, were intruders and were trespassers um, while still leaving a little bit of a, of, of a tease with the plane. I, I like it. Now, of course, this is kind of a choosing between children type thing, but what do you feel is the, the signature or standout scene for this film? Um, oof, let's see. I think that I mean obviously stuff dealing with the scarecrows. I think the bit I mentioned earlier about the uh, when the when the guy comes in and they find that he's stuffed with the money and the straw, I think is a great scene because it's a kind of a double reveal. One, he shows up and we know he's dead, but he, here he is and he's silent and not talking, um, and it becomes a fight scene. So you're kind of already kind of on edge, like wait a minute, we thought he was dead. And then two, when it was revealed that he's just basically stuffed with this stuff, and the, you know he, he gets beheaded, um, and they kind of cut him open. So it's a it's a big um, uh, graphic scene that is kind of knocks it from uh, you know the for, for these characters knocks it from the action realm um, to pure horror because the, you know they're used to shooting people, they're used to fights, they're used to like you know people betraying them probably, and so this is no no not, nothing here is new to them until this person that they. <laughs> known that they've been fighting they realize his guts are gone and instead there's cash and straw inside of them and then somebody sewed him up so i think it's a huge kick um into the horror genre you know from that point so that's probably my favorite scene but otherwise there are little touches here and there i mean the the bit with the um the one character gets his uh the one possessed character gets his fingers bit off yes and um i love that effect because it's not just a matter of they're chopped off and they're gone it's the the flesh is kind of pulled off of them yeah and so the visual is a hand with you know fingers that end at the middle knuckle, and what's left is like just the the bone 
coming up each out of each finger. It's just a great visual. It's a great great uh, effects gag. Um, so those are, those are probably the highlights. But I mean, like I said, anything with those scarecrows is great. The bit where they kind of look at each other um, is, is a lot for me to to enjoy in this movie. I would say that probably my favorite little bit. It's it's just a very small touch, but it says a lot about the characters. Is is after they do uh, behead the body of oh, now I'm blanking on the name, so I guess it's okay. Uh, Curry, that's who it is. Uh, when after they chop off his head, and you know they they're ch- looking over his body, they go back because of course you know um, Kelly's ended up running outside, so Roxanne's got to go get her, and then they cut back to uh the the main guy who's wiping the blood and and everything off the body and grabbing another dollar and then yeah. grabbing the the blood and wiping <laughs> it off there is that he he doesn't have a lot but he went through the trouble of stealing this money so he wants to keep the money yeah and th- and that plays into the, to the greed of the characters i mean that's what pulls them there that's what lands them there in the first place obviously but it's also what keeps them there well past the point where they they should have you know gotten the hell out um but that scene too, I I, I think that because uh, when the guy shows up and his guts are gone, I like that it kind of links also back to the earlier where they think they found the bag of money in the tree, <laughs> and they slice it open to get all the cash out, and instead what comes out are like guts and, and blood, and so you're kind of like, well, what the hell? And so it just it feeds into the next scene because well, here, here's where his you know, guts and blood came from, out of this guy's you know thoracic cavity, and so I think it's just a, a nice little little callback there. But yeah, it's. There's a, I think there's a lot of little visual touches that, um, you know, at least in my experience, you don't necessarily find in a lot of low-budget uh, horror movies that are more interested in kind of like the one-note um, hits of whether that be jump scares, which again, this movie I think also avoids you know the the problem of jump scares with loud you know audio cues and stingers. It's not interested in that. It, it does a really good job, I think, setting up the atmosphere um, and then having the fear of the characters build to the point, even when nothing is happening on screen, but to the point where they're you know, terrified, but also confused, understandably, um, and trying to piece things together. But more importantly, they're distracted by, here's cash. There's cash. I'm going to follow the cash, even though I should be getting the hell out of this place. It doesn't have to be a Scarecrow movie for this next one. But the next question is, is there a modern counterpart to this film? And in what ways do you think that it falters when compared to this and is there anything about that movie that might be better? It, it, this can be from from anywhere in the horror genre, but but something that you think matches thematically to Scarecrows. Um, I actually don't have a off the top of my head. I don't have a, a, a horror comparison, but um, when you asked the question, my immediate thought went to something like um, like Trespass or uh, okay, this one called I think it's, I think it's called Intruders. I could be getting that wrong, but anyways, um, but they're, they're both both kind of like uh, thrillers, I guess, yeah. uh, that becomes kind of survival thrillers where characters again let their greed um, lead them into not just into dangerous situations, but past the point where they should have, you know, they should kind of cut their losses and and, and let go. Um, <laughs> and I think that it, with trespass as well, you, you find this divide of, of the characters who are, you know, some of them are like, well, okay, yeah, this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're under fire, we're, we're dying, whatever. It's not worth, you know, the possible payoff. Let's just get out of here. And then you have the ones on the flip side that are like, 
well, I'm already here and I'm here for the money. And so like, I, I think it's an interesting drive um, in care. I mean, it's a very human drive as well to, you know, the greed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously like a simple one, but I think that it allows um, for some interesting films and some interesting uh, uh, character journeys, because again, you have that divide between the ones that have a line where they're going to say, okay, at this point, it's no longer worth it. And those that are just like, you know, no, more and more and more and more. I need more, um, obviously, much to their detriment. For me, it's it's not like in the same vein, kind of like with, with what you chose, even though I think Trespass really does work for your comparison there. But what comes to mind for me is uh, No One Lives. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just because of the fact that it, and Trespass has this as well, where you don't really have your traditional version uh, of a hero. You don't really have that central grounding point that so many movies are like, here's a black and white, here's a good people, here's a bad people. And that, if you think about it in the way, in Scarecrows, the good guys are technically the Scarecrows who are who are hunting everybody down and killing them, because here's these people who are invading their land that could you know, end up destroying their fields, ransacking their house, whatever. And they're there, as you said, to be the Guardians. And that's kind of, in a way, how uh, No One Lives is, even though it's in, in a more morbid morbid fashion, because you've got the serial killer who's trying to kill the yokels who've kidnapped the girl that he plans to kill next. But, but it's still, <laughs> it doesn't have that traditional dichotomy that so many people are used to. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's a good example, too, in the sense that, um, whereas, again, most movies of the genre, it, it's pretty clear you've got your... Whether you like them or not, you have your protagonists, and then you have your your monster slash killer slash villain, whatever it might be. Um, and the dynamic is 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 clear from early on. And then obviously different things can happen, surprises can happen, but the dynamic stays the same. And I think that in in these movies in, in Scarecrows, um, I do like that again from the beginning. You're like, okay, these guys are bank robbers, so they're not great people, obviously. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, but the guy and his daughter are innocents, and then there's these monsters. Okay, go. And the fact that the movie kind of takes that, goes with it, and again, through these kind of like, you know, not in your face uh, bits of exposition, but just kind of like, you know, asides or like, you know, images on the wall or whatever, it kind of reveals that, well, no, again, these, <laughs> the scarecrows are doing what they're there for, which is to protect this place, and they're not really the bad guys here. Um, I like that shift that goes throughout it. And I think that it's, you see it, you do, I'm trying to think off the top of my head some other movies, but I, I can't, but I mean, you, I like when the movie does that, where it, it gives you this convention that you're familiar with, and then, you know, kind of shifts the, the places, the white hat and the black hat, it, it shifts mm-hmm. it throughout the movie. Um, you know, we're not necessarily rooting for the Scarecrows, but we're also not necessarily rooting for the people to survive them either. And not in the sense that we're like, we're like rooting on Freddy Krueger or something like that, because we want to hear like a funny quip or whatever. We're just kind of like, well, wait a minute, these people are trespassing i mean is what it comes down to and these uh spirits whatever you want to call them are there to protect and so it's like I, you can't fault them you know <laughs> I mean, they're doing what what they need to be doing and it's like okay <laughs> what are you gonna do no i, I mean i think it's re- really interesting to mention I, I, i'm a fan of the film we know that you're a huge fan of the film but again, I'm I'm interested to hear. There's some people who would would probably take umbrage with the fact that you've got the news report at the beginning and the end, as opposed to seeing those sequences. Do you think the the movie's made better by you know not showing the robbery? I think so. I mean, obviously, it's it the decision is made for like mostly mostly for budgetary reasons. But again, I think that it works beautifully because we don't need to like what what would that add to it? 
if you want to take a step back and look at it, what would it add to it? I mean, you get an action scene, sure, but what's what's actually necessary to that? We don't need to see the robbery. We don't need to see the actual act happen because what's important is where these characters are now um, and what happens next. And so I, I just am a huge fan of the efficiency of that opening where it, it just tells you in a few, you know, a couple, couple quick minutes during the opening credits, this is what's happened. Um, you know, these, these are the bad guys you know, or whatever. Um, and you know, the cops are after him and they've got some innocent victims with them. It just is that it sets the stage perfectly. I don't, I don't need to see any, like, I don't need to see them abducted. I don't need to see the robbery. Um, I've got it instantly in my head. Okay. These are the characters. You already have a, a good sense of where they stand on the moral scale. Um, I mean, it kind of tries to humanize them a little bit that the bad guys or the, you know, the robbers by having them kind of banter back and forth. Um, and so you, you get the sense that, okay, they're just real people who just, you know, again, are after this money, and this this was worth it for them, and now they're on their way, and they're going to escape. Except, you know, this next thing happens. <laughs> so I think that that's that's all we needed was that brief intro to get us into it, um, and then you know we're off to the races. Having rewatched Scarecrows now again recently, do you feel it's still worthy of the reverence that people hold towards it, or do you feel like maybe the sheen is is slowly being wiped away? For me, it it still has it. Um, I mean, there obviously there are movies. It, it's I hadn't watched it in a while, and so since the Screen Factory Blue came out, um, so this is probably like maybe like my I don't know sixth or seventh watch of the movie. Um, and uh, but it, it still has it for me. I mean, there are movies that I rewatch and I kind of shake my head at myself, like The Ice Pirates um, <laughs> is a horrible fucking movie. Um, <laughs> uh, zapped terrible movie but these are movies that like my younger self was a huge huge fan of because i was an idiot um with no sense of humor and i was a horn dog right so these are things that established my movie taste at a certain age but watching them later on i realized that they're just like just you know just garbage movies scarecrows um i mean from a young age obviously i loved well not obviously but i you didn't know me then but i loved gore effects and i love you know horror movies and so that element still works and it's on rewatches as i got older I was able to appreciate a lot more of the nuance of, again, of, of this atmosphere, of this, um, you know, very easygoing setup without, again, putting it in your face as far as what's going on at this farm, um, you know, who's basically, who these scarecrows are. Um, you get a sense of all that that maybe my younger self you know, may have, you know, kind of skipped past in my rush to kind of like get to the next gore beat or get to the next creepy scarecrow scene. And so for me, it's actually kind of grown. Um, obviously, you know, visual effects I've, I've seen a lot more in the uh, 30 years since, since the movie's 30th anniversary is coming up in a few days or a few days ago. I'm not sure when this is posting. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, for me, it's actually stayed. I, I can see somebody watching it as a new, like a new to them movie, maybe not being um, as affected, but uh, for me, you know, when it, when it was brand new, it was great, and over the years, it's been great. And today, when I just rewatched it again, to me, it's, it's just still a solid, solid horror movie. I, I think it definitely um, holds up. You know, I, I hadn't watched it in probably like five or six years, and it definitely holds up. And I think that I forgot how well done um, some of the the gore is done, the beheadings really well done when the head even comes to life and in, in the fridge mm-hmm. is well done. Any of the scenes where it's basically cutting down the middle of the, of the body, which the, the film goes to several times and it's not in an overdone fashion. Mm-hmm. The movie's called scarecrows. You, you can fucking have people being chopped up the middle to show their insides because mm-hmm. that's how scarecrows are. It, it fits their MO. It makes sense. 
<laughs> um, but like the only thing that I noticed this time, um, and it's something that I'm okay with because it's a cheaper budget, is that there is quite a bit of like slow motion to try to um, help the runtime be like just a couple minutes longer. And but at the same time, I can forgive that knowing when it was made and how the practices are. You want to have it be within a certain time and you only yeah. have so much budget. So you got to find a way to stretch it out a little bit. I, I so. think and I think a couple of the, those instances, too, um, to my eye anyways, I, I think we're on um, action beats mm-hmm. that um, I feel like maybe they did it because, again, or the low budget movie, you don't necessarily have the the stunt players or the stunt choreographers or the um, ability to do something that's, you know, could actually be dangerous or could actually be require like, you know, athletic skill, whatever. Um, and so you slow it down a little bit. That, that means that you're able to, see it, able to film it, you know, not necessarily at regular speed as well. Um, so there's a couple instances of that, I think, where I noticed a slow motion that is used to kind of like maybe heighten a, uh, an action. Like the one scene where the guy gets knocked out, he, he's kind of like knocked back and hits the wall and, you know, slammed down. Now if you watched it at regular speed, it would be like a, you know, a hard hit, but doing it in slow motion, you're able to kind of like, they were able to hedge their, hedge their bets a little bit, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I figure it again, because again, I think that for me, when you have a low budget movie, um, the elements that I think you can't skimp on because obviously story doesn't cost anything. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously, and I think it's strong here. The elements that you can't skimp on though, are going to be, at least to my mind, you know, the production design, if it's a horror movie, the effects, the visual style of it, um, and just, you know, the overall look. Because that, I think, for me anyways, is what's going to knock me out of a movie uh, fastest. I mean, I can get around some, you know, shoddy, like not horrible acting, but some shoddy acting. Um, I, I can get around, you know, the single location or the, you know, the, the lack of lights. <laughs> you know, I, I, can, I can get around a lot of things that I know are, are because of a budget yeah. or, you know, various scenes that aren't there. Um but if the visual overall visual style or, or look of a film isn't working because of the budget, I mean, I think that is what's going to hurt it. Um, whether it's because it's like boring or because they're not able to create the illusion of whatever it is they're trying to go for. And I think that this movie, Wesley does a great job um, convincing you that you are in this middle of nowhere, you know, for one thing, you know, field is, is farmhouse that is um, clearly been around a long, long time. Um, you, at one moment, you know, you feel like it's been abandoned. Another moment, you feel like it is lived in, but you know, by who knows by what. Um, but you get a sense that this is a real uh, place, and so you understand how the characters are kind of lost and getting, you know, confused and looking for things and not able to find a way out. You understand all that because the, I think the movie does a good job presenting that, um, uh, you know, kind of nightmare of geography uh, in the darkness. And I think that one other thing too is that this is one of those movies that. Um, back when it was on VHS was super, super freaking dark. Um, and so you'd have a lot of scenes. I remember watching it and, and having no clue what the hell was going on. <laughs> um, I still loved it because of the various bits that you could see, but so I was very, very pleased when, um, the Blu-ray came out because it, it does, uh, lighten up a little bit of it. I'm able to see more. It's a bit sharper. It's still a dark movie, but it's, I'm able to see it and understand it and, uh, mm. get a sense of everything that's happening in there. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that that's where this movie being a low budget, you know, goes above and beyond a lot of where a lot of other ones make the mistake of, of not giving you your visual uh, bang for your buck. Now, I'd like no, the record to show two things. Um, before we started to record, Rob said, if I feel that at any point you're saying something negative about the film, I will try to find a way to basically end you. So that's what happened. Just <laughs> that's there. paraphrasing. I. Uh, I, I, I wasn't even saying anything tremendously bad about the film. 
and he <laughs> he threw down the gauntlet. So I just wanted everybody to know that Rob is a man of his word when, when it comes to things <laughs> like that. Uh, second of all, um, the Blu-ray that I could find that there was one that was put out in Australia, basically by a company that's simply called Import. And <laughs> that sounds shoddy, but okay. Yeah, and it and it uh, it shows that um, it was through their cult classics line. It still has the MGM logo on the bottom, so I'm guessing that there isn't anything special in there. Now, because, of course, it's Australia, it's hard to tell exactly what the rating is. The time is the same. It does show that it's 83 minutes, so my guess is that it's possibly still the R-rated version. Hmm, okay. So that answers that. Uh, before we wrap up, I'm going to ask a very quick question. So hopefully you can you, you can go on a tangent if you want. Just don't make it tremendously long. But um, since we're at the point that we've had a whole bunch of episodes and everything, I do want to ask this question because there's a lot of movies that people have chosen that are in the 80s or slash late 70s. But what do you think it is that makes the late 70s slash 80s such a proving ground for great revered horror films? Yeah, regardless of budget. Um, I mean, I think that the most immediate answer, well, two, three things. One, I think that a lot of people are of the age um, where those were the decades and then in, into the nineties as well. But nineties was kind of like a, a bit lighter when it came to creativity, I think. But um, those, those, those are the decades where the genre, I think was coming into its own um, on the effects front I guess maybe because I mean, obviously you've had horror for, you know, for a century now, but I think that heading into the seventies and eighties, you started to get a lot more in the sense of impressive visual effects um, that kind of draw you into the, um, the horror, the pain, the suffering, the nightmare, the, you know, the uh, just r ridiculous um, possibilities of imagination. I mean, effects you had back in the, you know, in the fifties or forties or sixties, whatever, Again, worked at the time, but I mean, they were optical effects, they were stop motion, things I love, but things that don't necessarily translate to you feeling as if it's a tangible um, uh, fear or tangible terror. I think that heading into the 70s and 80s, you started finding effects that had that feel, that felt very practical, um, that felt realistic, that became kind of one with uh, like Cronenberg's movies with a body horror, things that became um, you can identify with and you can visually see on the screen. And so they kind of struck you. It's not just a matter of like, oh, there's a ghost or, oh, there's, you know, a, a giant optical effect blob. Um, you had visual effects of like, you know, body cavities opening, um, you know, whether it be gore stuff of like George Romero, amazing stuff there from Tom Savini, or again, the more imaginative creative stuff of David Cronenberg, you were able to get a sense of, of it being again a tangible thing and that i think strikes people's memories and holds people's memories stronger um that'd be my immediate thing but otherwise yeah like i said, i think that a lot of people are kind of of the age where those were the decades especially the 80s that they were you know seeing movies they were you know kind of catching all that and plus you had the video revolution you had you know vhs exploding you had the different you know cable channels growing so access um and effects and just again the time frame i, I think are the big reason why a lot of people now adults know kind of harken back to those days it, a very succinct and great answer I, I totally agree that i think the big word that comes out of the late 70s and the 80s that that helps them stay prevalent is practical because mm -hmm. since we moved into the age where cgi you know is such a big thing when you look back even at horror films from just a few years you know could be three years could be five years could be seven years 
that depending upon their budget and depending upon the time that they put in to the like the CGI that it it already looks dated. And mm-hmm. if you have an over reliance on that, regardless of what your story is, you're going to have people who start to shy away from it. But because you have so many films from the late 70s and throughout the 80s that have the practical effects as well as the great story that you have the people who are just able to accept it and just kind of live and stew in that world because everything is tangible. Nothing looks fake and it doesn't, you have a better willful suspension of disbelief and that's what they're able to hold on to. And that's why you start to see lots of movies that are becoming popular that are low budget, but are, are ending up on like the festival circuits and stuff like that either have like limited CGI or a higher reliance on going back to the, the practical effects. I think that's key. And I, I know that obviously, you know, some filmmakers and, you know, production studios and studios in general prefer, you know, CG because even though it's not cheap, their argument is often that it's cheaper because <laughs> it's something they can do and they can control all through post-production. They can make all kinds of adjustments. Same thing with CG blood. Um, I'm obviously not a fan because like 99% of the time it's very obvious when it's CG blood. But to a filmmaker, it works because there's no setup time. Like if they have to reshoot a scene, if it's practical blood, you've got to you know wash off you know the the performer. You've got to change outfits. Um, you got to clean the the set and then go again. If it's CG blood, you just basically get back in position and run it again. Um, and then you can obviously just you just adjust the blood in post production. And so I understand the ease factor there. But for me, I think that that's also one of the reasons why when I do see films that are are using practical, whether it be blood or or practical effects itself um i've just got a lot more respect for it and that regardless of the quality of the movie automatically for me and this is my own uh, bias automatically for me kind of already puts me one step closer to being a fan to to enjoying the movie because I, i'm i'm seeing i'm seeing the in-camera you know effects i'm seeing again to go back to the word tangible i mean for me it's i believe um i, I mean obviously there are other factors you know script acting blah 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 mm-hmm. but when you have a, a performer who's interacting with a physical um, creature or a physical uh, effect of some kind, there's something more, more, a more visceral reaction to that as a viewer um, that I don't have when you've got someone, uh, you know, what knocking boots with a ghost or <laughs> climbing atop a, a CG, you know, dinosaur, or whatever it is. I can still enjoy those, those movies, but I'm not getting the same, um, you know, increase in my pulse rate or the same, you know, wide-eyed excitement because it's no matter how good the CG is, it's still CG. It's animation, impressive, you know, great. I'm very happy for everybody, but I don't have that same reaction because it is. I'm, I'm just a step removed from from the action because there's now again animation CG work on this as opposed to again a physical creature and so going like I said 70s especially the 80s were kind of like the highlight obviously the, the high point for this um you just had so much of it and you had all these talented people and you had magazines like fangoria sorry that which are showing you you know how things are, are being created but it's still at the same time doesn't take away from the illusion because seeing it on screen it just is um it was just amazing more often than not i don't, I don't know i mean it was it was the time to kind of get into horror i think um because it, it just was kind of like a, an absolute explosion of, of creativity, whether it be gore or just imagination. Um, and to see it all come to life again in, in camera, on screen, uh, it's a lot more lasting of, of an image 
than you find because if you look at recent movies we just you just you just mentioned there have been some great like brilliant fantastic horror movies over the past five years or so right like lots of them but off the top of my head maybe under the skin had a great visual effect at the end mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think of some other ones but more often than not what makes them great aren't the effects it's like you know kind of like the emotion or the you know the, the mental anguish or i mean lots of other elements but i can't think of much in the way of um physical effects that kind of pop off the screen and grab me and throttle me and say, this is fucking awesome. Now, where can the good people of the internet find you? Um, well, I'm open to good people or bad people. You can all <laughs> come find me at filmsclerejects.com. Um, on Twitter, our site goes under the one perfect shot moniker that everybody loves. No one complains <laughs> about. Um, the on Twitter myself, I'm at fake Rob Hunter. Uh, I occasionally, like I said, will show up over at Crooked Marquee. I have a weekly column and other appearances at Slash Film, um, and also I go to Starbucks a lot, so I might see you there. That's see, that's perfect. And there's plenty of Starbucks out there, so there's a chance you could be at all of them at all the time. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know if you're scarecrows. That's true. That's true. I mean, but if, if William Wesley is listening, <laughs> get off your butt and make Scarecrows 2 the last straw that was promised to me decades ago. Thank you very much. Kickstarter. <laughs> you can find me um, online on Twitter at Yo Adrian Torres. Um, you can find the majority of my writing at BoomHowdy.com. And, of course, you can find all the information for this show at Horversary on Twitter. It's very simple, just like it sounds. Rob, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. That This was a great conversation. That's all I can say. Thank you for opening your door when I knocked. You're, you're welcome. Um, I, I'm very trusting, even if people could potentially be either scarecrows or vampires. That's fair. I mean, I watched through your window for probably about a day or two just to make sure you were on the up and up. So I, I get that because I was kind of worried about you too, but it worked out okay. I, I appreciate it. Well... Until next time, everybody, be nice to each other.